How's it going, church? You guys are alive today. I love it. Must be the, the Wisconsin spring setting in. Um, a, a, a couple things as we get started here. First of all, I want to just make the announcement. So uh, summer's coming up. And there's something really kind of unique about Renew Church and, and something that I absolutely love. And it's our college students that call Renew their home. So if you're a college student, raise your hand. Sweet. Uh, I'm a little disappointed you to make any noise whatsoever, but I get it. You're used to the classroom. Um, now, a unique thing about the college students that call Renew Church their home is that these guys make up about 40% of our worship teams and our kids' ministry teams. So it, that is phenomenal. Like, those are 40% of our teams that are involved, that are serving week in, week out, that are doing the ministry that reaches you all and brings new people in the church and gives them a glimpse of who Jesus is. There's a whole team back there that partners with kids and families every single week to show them and teach them about who Jesus is. Now, yeah. Now, what I said about summers coming up is that some of that population, some of the college students leave to go back home. That means we need more people on our teams, worship teams and kids ministry teams, all right? So if you are somebody who is not leaving this summer, uh, I want to encourage you, sign up. Go to our website, renew.church slash the hub, and you can join a team there. Fill out a form and join a team, uh, even if it's just for the summer. Uh, That'll help us carry through uh, until the college students come back and we can rock and roll next year. So that's my challenge for you this morning. Uh, Holy Week is now. Begins right now. Holy Week is a week that leads up to Easter. And as Christ followers, this is, uh, there's all sorts of things about Holy Week that, that really we're supposed to read year after year after year and enter into the story. I want to encourage you this week. We're not doing a traditional Palm Sunday message right now. We're going to wrap up Jonah, which I think is very applicable leading into Easter. But I want to encourage you, read through the Holy Week story. And feel it. Like, see what Jesus experiences. See what his followers experience. Like, there are so many things in that story that will bless you, and it leads us and prepares our hearts leading into Easter, where we get to celebrate what Jesus has done, what Jesus is doing, and what Jesus will do. And for me, like next week, we need to celebrate. We need to praise Jesus. We need to be thankful. Come ready to worship. Come ready to sing. Come ready to greet somebody, to talk to somebody new. Like, come ready. All right? All right, Jonah 4. Turn with me to Jonah chapter 4. I don't know about you, um, but this book has been... Uh, incredible to go through as a church. 
If you've missed any of the messages, uh, I mean, it's only a four-week series. So if you've missed any of the messages, uh, go back, find them online, and go to our YouTube page, listen to them, and walk through this book. Uh, Some of you have been reading this book on a weekly basis. I want to encourage you, keep doing that for a little bit. There are so many things packed into this book, and especially chapter 4. Chapter 4, I love it because we see everything kind of come to this culmination in Jonah. If, if you're new here, uh, Jonah was called by God to go preach to the Ninevites. He said, listen, Jonah, you're my boy. I need you to go do something. I need you to go set these people straight. They're the Ninevites. Everyone hates them. They're horrible people. They do horrible things in our region. I want you to be the one to go and tell them who I am. And to tell them to change the way they're living. Jonah goes, no, uh, I'd rather take option B. And I'd rather go across the lake in the complete opposite direction. There ain't no way, God, I'm going to talk to those people. Because I don't like them. I actually hate them. My family hates them. Everybody in my demographic hates them. So God brings a storm. The sailors turn their hearts to God, (laughs) who don't know God. The sailors turn their hearts to God. Jonah says, it's all my fault. They throw him overboard. Next is the part of the story that everybody knows. Uh, The big giant fish comes and grabs Jonah, swallows him. He's hanging out in the fish for three days, says a prayer. And then when it looks like Jonah's heart might be changing, gets spit up on shore. And then, one of my favorite parts in the story, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, which shows God's character, shows that he just doesn't give up on you after the first time, but he keeps pursuing you, keeps calling you, keeps getting you to change and come to him. And then Jonah goes, yeah, I'll I'll go preach, I guess. Goes, preaches five words. Doesn't tell the Ninevite people about who God is. Doesn't tell the Ninevite people, look, you're living away from God. You need to turn, be transformed in how you live and come to God. Leaves all that out. Says, hey, Nineveh, 40 days, this whole place is going to burn to the ground. And through that, the city repents confesses, repents, puts on sackcloth and ashes. We talked about that last week. It's a visible sign of an internal repentance and confession. They come to God. So the last verse in uh, Jonah chapter 3 is the, the, the king, the governor, the ruler, repenting and kind of going, who knows? <laughs> Maybe if we do this, God won't wipe us off the face of the earth. And it's super interesting. You have the man of God, the supposed man of God, who's spending the entire story running away from the call of God, letting hatred and bitterness and anger rule his heart. And you have... Sailors in this Nineveh nation, which is about 120,000 people going, yeah, I'm going to change my life and I'm going to believe in God. 
And so as a result of the Nineveh people confessing and repenting and putting their hope in God, God saw what they did and they turned from their evil ways and he relented, did not bring them the destruction that he had threatened. Throughout this whole story, we see all sorts of grace and mercy from God. And then we have Jonah. Verse 1 in chapter 4. Jonah, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. God, maybe you don't know something, but these people are horrible. God, maybe you don't know, but these people killed other people. These people don't deserve to live, God. These people don't believe the right thing. They don't think the right way. They treat their neighbors horribly. God, don't you know, these people don't deserve it. Now, this is where we need to pause and do some reflective work in this next section of verses. Because I know for everybody in the room, it's easy to go, Jonah's such a moron through this whole story. Like, Jonah just doesn't get it. Like, Jonah needs to wake up and see what God's doing in his life, in the lives of people around him. He needs to wake up And I would ask us, where do we need to wake up? So Jonah prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate, God. Slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. My God, take my life because I can't handle this anymore. It's really interesting to really lean into this story and see this tension in Jonah. Well, God, I believe that you are compassionate. I believe that you are full of mercy and grace. I believe that when people turn their hearts to you, you relent. You show that compassion. You show that grace. You show that mercy. Like there's a whole history in the Old Testament of you doing that time and time and time again. So God, I knew you were going to do that. That's why I didn't want to go. Because these people don't believe, don't need it. They don't deserve it. They deserve punishment. And there's so much tension inside of me. He's like, just, I just want to end it. I got it. Like, I can't handle this battle inside of me. I know who you are, God, and that's why I didn't want to go in the first place. 
Because I knew if they turned their hearts, if they repented, if they confessed, I knew you would be compassionate. I knew you would be full of grace. This is the crux of the story, right? Then God asks, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? The way this is written, it's really the question, is your anger resulting in any good? And this is the second most important question in the book. Is your anger, your burning with anger, causing any good? Now, throughout the scriptures, I don't know, uh, I can't think of any scriptures that say, do not be angry. You are not allowed to be angry as a Christ follower. Anger, off the table. I don't know any verse that says that. But there are a ton of verses that talk about how you are to be angry. How you are to be angry that is in line with following Jesus with his heart, that is in line with keeping your heart healthy and pointed towards God. See, anger is an emotion. Anger is something that all of us feel for all sorts of different reasons. You could be uh, not get a lot of sleep and have a series of things happen the next day that are pretty minor in a normal day, and you would be angry at the end of the day, right? It's something that we all feel. But here's the thing about emotions. You know the dashboard on your car? You know when it lights up and there's a warning light? And that warning light signals that something is not going right in the car. And if you don't fix it, if you don't tend to it, if you don't take it to a mechanic and sort it out, figure out why this light is on, there might be a chance that your car will break down the road. Anger, just like anxiety or any other emotion we feel, serves as a warning light. If you're walking around, this is especially true for men. If you're walking around and you are just angry all the time, speaking from personal experience, if you are just angry all the time, something sets you off, it's a signal that something is not right in your heart. God asked Jonah a very important question. Is there any good coming from your anger, Jonah? Because there is anger, I believe, that can be in God's people at something horrific that's happening in the world. But man, so often with anger, we need to keep a close eye on our hearts and our minds. 
as we experience that anger because so quickly it can pollute our hearts and our minds. And before you know it, we're like Jonah, running away from God's call, believing that no way can God love this group of people. No way is God calling me to go to this person and preach to them, forgive them, explain who Jesus is, and even more importantly, live out what it means to follow Jesus in this world. So I love Jonah's response. God asks a question. This, by the way, is a similar question to what God asks Cain in the story, Cain and Abel. Very similar question. Is there any good coming from your anger? It's a good check for you. If you're angry and just, ah, the next question should be, okay, is there any good coming from my anger? I'm going to go out on a limb and say most of the time, there's not good coming from our anger, if we're honest. But what's Jonah's response? God asked him a question. What does Jonah do? I'm out. I'm out. Jonah had gone out, sat down at a place east of the city. God asked him a question. Jonah goes, peace. I'm not even answering that question. I'm stonewalling you, God. I'm going out east of the city, and I'm going to sit down. I'm going to make a little tent. I'm going to build a little camp here because I'm going to sit here for the next 40 days in hope that this city burns to the ground. Like, see where Jonah's at? See where his anger, his bitterness, his unwillingness to follow God, see where that brought him to the edge of the city, building a camp so he can sit in hope that this city still gets destroyed. Even though God showed mercy. Don't you just love scripture? Like how realistic it is. And how if we allow it, it pierces our own hearts in our minds. Because who in your life are you sitting here going, well, (laughs) I'm just going to sit over here and just hopefully God deals with that person. Y'all are lying if you don't have that person in your mind, in your, in your mind right now. And, and so Jonah goes out, sits, builds a little shelter. And then this really fascinating part of the story. The Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head to ease his discomfort. Look at the grace of God. You and I would have cut Jonah off a long time ago. Jonah, you want to go pout in the desert while the sun's beating down on you? Good. Go. I hope you get sunburned. That's what I would have, I don't know, maybe you have more compassion than I would. But I would have said, okay, you've, you've made your bed, Jonah. Go. God provides a plant. 
to give Jonah shade. Even in, sh- in Jonah's disobedience, time and time again, even in Jonah's like ugly state of his heart, God still shows up and provides. Still shows up and cares for him. So if you're sitting here and you're like, man, really? I'm just like Jonah. I hate some people. I can't figure out how to get rid of this. Like, I'm torn up inside. And really, if you were to open up and see my heart, like, you would see ugliness. If you're that person sitting here, nobody else may even know that that's your current condition. But I want you to know that God even cares for you. He loves you. He provides for you. He eases your discomfort. Jonah was very happy about the plan. It's the first time in the story that we see Jonah happy, right? Which we all would be if we're getting beaten down by the sun and a nice plant just suddenly grows up next to us and gives us shade. I would be happy too. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. And a sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. God says, look, Jonah, you're not getting the point. Like, I'm trying to deal with your anger. I'm trying to deal with the current state of your heart, but you keep resisting. And so you won't answer a question about, is your anger causing any good? And so now I'm going to change my strategy, and I'm going to try to work through this illustration, a plant. And I'm going to put the plant there, So that you're happy and you're thankful and you're grateful for once in this story. And then I'm going to take it away. Because Jonah, your heart still has not changed. Your heart still has not been transformed. Jonah, once again, wanted to die. It would be better for me To die than to live. He can't deal with the emotional tension going on in his life. God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, Jonah said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Like like we kind of sit there and maybe you chuckle at this. Because on one hand, it's so childish of Jonah. And on the other hand, it's so... Exactly us. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, Jonah. Though you did not tend to it, you didn't make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. You've been so concerned about this plant. This plant, Jonah, is the first thing that you've cared for in this story, and that's an issue. I'm half convinced that Jonah 
cared about the plant because it served his needs and desires. Rather than Jonah serving the needs and desires of others or of God. And then, the book ends with a question. Jonah, you've cared for this plant. And now I have a question. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. And also the animals. (laughs) I love every step of the way. The animals are even included in all this. Like, that's just, to me, a comical part of the story that's added in. Uh, Like, I don't know. I won't say it. I'm going to say, who cares about the cows? But God cares about the cows. That's... Yeah. So, Jonah, you cared more about this plant than you do anybody else. Maybe because it had more to do with you than anybody else. And God ends the book with a question which I think is brilliant. Should I not have concern with something that I created, I made in my image? Should I not have concern for them? End scene. Now, I would love to get the rest of this story, right? I would love it. I'd love to see what Jonah's response was. I'd love to see, like, did Jonah keep just being a punk? Or did God finally get through to him with the whole plant thing? I'd love to know. But I don't think that's the point of the story. I think the point of the story is God, who God is, God's character, God's relentless pursuit of us, who God is, and then I think the point of the story is you and I. You and I are the point of the story. When we're met with the scandalous, the scandal of God's grace, what is our reaction? And of course, when it's That grace is pointed towards us. We soak it in. We love it. We'll sing about it. We'll raise our hands about it. We'll be thankful for it. But what happens when that grace is pointed to someone who we don't like? Or who we think isn't following God? What is our response? You see, everybody in the story respond to God, except for the guy who we thought would respond to God. So if you're following Jesus this morning, this story is a heart check. Am I actually following Jesus? With my heart, with my soul, with my mind, With my body, am I following Jesus? Because part of following Jesus 
is dealing with your anger, dealing with your hurt, dealing with your bitterness. Matthew 5, 2, uh, Jesus is talking in the Sermon of the Mountain, and there's a section about murder, and he goes, look, I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister is subject to judgment. He's saying, look, the old law says don't murder somebody. The new law says even if you hate someone, it's on the same level. Later on in chapter 5, verse 43 through 48, he says, You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This was a common phrase at the time. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you, that you may be children of the Father of heaven. Notice, this is what it looks like to be a child of the Father in heaven. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He causes uh, the sun to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? He's saying that is easy. It's easy to love the person that's going to love you back. It's easy to have the person over for dinner that, that you know will invite you over for dinner. It's easy. But where it really shows you what your heart is made of and who you follow, it's when you love your enemy and you pray for them and you have compassion for them. And when God does something marvelous in their life to bring them towards him, you celebrate, you cheer, you jump up and down and hopefully you were part of that action, whatever that was. Hopefully you submitted yourself to Jesus enough, followed Jesus enough, gave everything to him where you were part of that action. But if you weren't, you still celebrate and you praise him for it. You ask the question, why? Because Jesus did it for you. Jesus did it for you. And he says, since I did it for you, Part of what it means to follow me is that you now do it for others. We are called to be a witness, to live differently in this world. Not just follow what comes naturally. See, it's easy and natural to hold on to bitterness, to hold on to anger, to make someone else the enemy. That's easy. We all do it. You see it in our world all the time right now. What's harder? No. Uh, That person who has a liberal ideology around politics, I love. I cook them food. I hang out with them. I serve them. I don't talk bad behind their back. We have good, healthy dialogue around these things. That person who has a conservative ideology around politics, I love that person. Same deal. 
That person who is living completely differently away from how God would have them live. I love that person. I treat them the same because God did it for me. I love, I show compassion, I show mercy, I show grace. When anger gets in my heart, when bitterness gets in my heart, I deal with it. I work through it. It's there for a reason that I need to pay attention to. And here's the thing. Here's why we're going through Jonah. As we lead up to Easter. Turn with me to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11 is the place where Jesus mentions Jonah. And I'll just read it for you. Jesus is, is teaching and he's with a big group of people. And as Jesus was saying these things in verse 27, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave, you, who gave birth to you and nursed you. Blessed is your mom, Jesus. And what's Jesus' response? Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and then obey it, live it out in their life, actually do it. Jesus, is it good enough that I just come to church on Sundays? And that's that, like I'm, I'm hearing the word of God all the time. And, and I, I'm very faithful. I come to church all the time. I don't know that Jesus cares unless you actually start to live it out in your life. That's what we're called to. He does care. That's the whole story of Jonah. But you know what I mean. So many of us stop short of like, I check it off the list. I go to church. That's my following Jesus part. And I would say you're not actually following Jesus until some of this stuff starts getting in your life. So the crowds increased. More and more people came around Jesus to hear him teach. And Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. And then skip down to verse 32. The men of Nineveh will stand here, stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now there is something greater than Jonah here. First of all, I love that Jesus points back out of all the prophets to the story of Jonah, because there is so much in it. It's just complicated, and it's awesome. But then Jesus gives them a warning. These are people that are looking for the Messiah. The Jewish people are looking for the Messiah. And Jesus is going, look, you're asking for a sign and you are missing it because the sign is right in front of you. You know how Jonah went? And even though Jonah just preached five five words, the whole city came to know God. They repented. They confessed. They changed their lives. Jesus says, I am greater than Jonah standing right in front of you. And your lives are not changing. Jesus is saying, don't miss it. 
Jesus is right here in front of you. Don't miss it. I don't care if you've been following Jesus for 20 years or you still don't know if Jesus is real or not. Don't miss it. Don't miss Jesus. Don't miss the chance to turn from the idols in your life and turn to Jesus. Don't miss the chance to hear about Jesus. Don't miss the chance to live it out in your life. Don't miss the chance. Don't miss the chance to follow instead of running away. Don't miss the chance to heal from your past traumas, to get rid and heal in your bitterness, in your anger, in your unforgiveness, in your self-righteous anger. Don't miss the chance This is an invitation, especially if you have somebody in your heart that you don't like, or a people group in your heart that you don't like. Don't miss it. We are called to live differently. We are called to heal from our anger, from our bitterness. And we're called to live differently, not because anything you or I have done, because of what Jesus did. And this is what we get to celebrate next week. Don't miss it. The worship team come up. I want to pray for us. Jesus, we come before you. And Jesus, as we lead into Holy Week, Jesus, I pray that you disrupt our hearts and our minds this week. Because Jesus, you are here in front of us. You are here. You are offering freedom. You're offering healing. You're offering grace and mercy. And you are inviting us to be part of that in the world. Jesus, we need people who are transformed by you and through you to then be that in the world. So Jesus, I pray you disrupt our hearts. You search us and show us where we might be just like Jonah. And then I pray as we enter into Good Friday that we repent and confess those things so that we can be transformed and healed praising you, celebrating you on Sunday 
and being sent out by you to be a witness in the world for you. Amen. Let's stand and sing.